0: One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is going to catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I want to know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman, welcome to Never Stand Still. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Schulman, the president and CEO of PayPal. And I'm so happy to have Anna Batin with me today. Uh, Anna is the executive chairman of Santander, uh, and she is the fourth generation of the Batin family to hold this role. And she's been the driving force of many far reaching and transformative efforts uh, at the bank. And we'll talk about some of those in the show. For those of you who don't know, Santander is one of the largest banks in the world. Uh, It serves over 140 million uh, consumers across Europe and the Americas. It is one of the most profitable and efficient banks uh, in the globe. And it was ranked number one in the world uh, by uh, the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. It's a leader in digital innovation and Anna and I have had many a conversation uh, around that over the years. And um, uh, like PayPal, Santander also has a very strong commitment uh, to responsible banking to being a global, a corporate citizen. A little bit about Anna, just to embarrass her. Um, she was named one of the top 10 most powerful women uh, by Forbes last year. She was honored with the first award uh, for responsible capitalism. She was made an honorary Dom Commander of the Order of the British Empire, for services to the British financial sector. So she's royalty in many ways. <laughs> and uh, she is also on the board of directors of the Coca Cola uh, company. Anna's been a close friend uh, for the past five years. Um, we uh, look to each other for advice and counsel on so many different things. And uh, I am so happy to have her on the show. And so, welcome, Anna.
1: Thank you, Dan. It's um, great to be with you, and uh, all of those things you said are not really important. So I'm a bit embarrassed by that introduction, and I hope uh, I, I hope uh, we can have a good conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm sure we will, because we've had so many of them over the past. You know, maybe we can start off, Anna, because you know we have a um, a large and varied uh, audience who will be watching us. Um, with you telling a little bit about your background and your upbringing because it's so interesting because you grew up in this environment of success probably a lot of pressure on you in terms of uh you know uh what would your career uh and life uh, look like you attended schools all over the world i think you speak five different languages your father was the executive chairman before you. Your mother is a renowned pianist. She's a patron of the arts. And um, I'm just wondering, growing up like that, how did that shape your aspirations as you forged your own path?
1: Well, you're right. My parents both have had very distinguished careers and uh, are amazing people. My father died five years ago, but my mother's still alive. and. And, and working very hard for, for music um, and her foundation. You know, I'd say that um, I was born in a very small town in Northern Spain. It's it's on the ocean, so it's um, it's a Celtic area of Spain. Uh, my mother is actually an O'Shea, so I'm partly Irish uh, on her side. And, you know, my, my father ran a big bank and, and it's been in the family for, for many years, but my mother really was the biggest influence on on me and and, and I'm most of my my six. We're six in total, six siblings, and I'm the eldest. Wow! Yeah. So um, she, she she educated us in a very advanced way. So if you think about this, a small town, northern Spain. You know, I was born in 1960, and so she she really you know, pushed us very hard in terms of learning music, learning languages. And from the age of 13, actually, I I lived outside of Spain. So by the age of 30, um, I had lived more years outside Spain. I had lived in six different countries, not just Mm. Spain, but London, the UK, Austria, uh, Switzerland, the US. And I had worked also, of course, and gone to university abroad. So, you know, it was... a. In a way, it was it was difficult because you were away from home for from for many months um, from a very young age. But I think that's one of the things that helped me most in life. Um, you know, arriving in a new school, making new friends, understanding different cultures, really uh, the value of diversity. Which, of course, at that age, it just means you have to make new friends and adapt fast. But in life and actually professionally, that's exactly what we all have to do every day. So it was very deeply ingrained in, 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 in me and actually my my sisters and brothers that, you know, you, we're not all the same, we're all different and just moving and having to change so often, even though it was hard at the time, it, it really made us into very, um, you know, let's say modern citizens because that's how the world is today. I guess the other other important factor was the sense of responsibility being around not just my mother who founded her uh, very, um, very renowned world-class music school where basically all the students have scholarships, 100% of them, uh, 80% of them come from backgrounds uh, under the poverty line from all over the world uh, with Queen Sophia being the, the head of the school. My grandfather and his brother both put in place foundations. So many of the shares of the bank were act- are actually to this day owned by foundations and basically given away um, to different projects. So, so you know, understanding that we all have a responsibility to do the best we can with what we've been given and to give back. And so, you know, those were very important factors in in what I am as a person today.
0: Yeah. And It seems, Anna, that those values have continued on uh, your role as executive chairman uh, of the bank. Because I think often that PayPal and Santander share a common mission, which is to think about inclusion, which is to think about a financial system that embraces all citizens, that allows small businesses and consumers to be part of the digital economy Mm -hmm. moving forward and i'm curious um, how you've thought about that as you've um, put into place various initiatives um, throughout your career uh, at the bank to drive inclusion
1: this is really how we've always thought about the business is that it's good for the business to do good right and so being responsible is not just a nice thing it's not just good for society it's actually very good for your shareholders over time and and this is something which i remember my first uh, my first speech at the at the annual banking conference we do in madrid 5 years ago when i really spoke about you know going back to our roots and and in a way uh, you know understanding that responsibility is is at the heart of our business and and really when we bought many banks in the previous 10, 15 years. So the culture of Santander was not really a common culture. And so we really had to articulate what we had actually been doing for 163 years, um, but having actually to to spell it out. And so, you know, we, we, we agreed, and I had done this in my previous job when I was running Santander in the UK, to have as our common mission to help people and businesses prosper and if you ask any of our 200,000 colleagues around the world of which 100,000 are talking to customers every day what it is that makes us different the answer is you know we want to be a bank that does things in a way that is simple personal and fair so those are the three words that each one of us goes back to when you need to make a decision and as you know every day we have to make difficult decisions that are having an impact on different constituents there is not it's impossible even in a regulated industry like ours to have a rule book for everything and so when you have a doubt about how you should do something how you should develop a product how you should treat a customer or how you should you know uh, make a decision those are the three go to words simple personal and fair um, and so you know this is really what it's what it's all about and inclusion for us is how we run our business every day, Uh, but we also have specific goals in terms of empowering. So no, I like to think of not just financial inclusion, but financial empowerment. Mm -hmm. So we just last year, 2019, again, I mean, the best thing we can do in that regard is doing our jobs well every day, But, but we also have set ourselves a goal to empower 10 million people over the next four years. We have empowered 2 million last year. Uh, we launched a number of initiatives. Some of them are already 15 years old. Prospera program. You and I have discussed that a number of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not just about having people open an account or making payments. It's about allowing them to start a business. So you know, um, I like to give the example of a, a lady called Denise that I visited in Paulista, which is a town in northeast of Brazil. Um, I mean, tiny shop in one of the suburbs. Um, I bought a shirt. I don't have it on today, but I tell you, beautiful shirt in a tiny shop. She had taken ten different micro loans over three years. Um, I was able to pay with my Santander card. You know, she had a POS and she could um, could make payments and receive payments. This lady was going to. Planning at the time when I visited her last year, she was going to buy a plot of land to build a house, you know. But she was already thinking about hiring a person to work with her in in, in her small shop. So, you know, this is what we 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 call financial empowerment, and what we're really working very hard across um, across Latin America, but also other
0: countries. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, in so many ways, the rise of uh, like the mobile phone as a distribution channel, digital payments have made the ability to access markets that maybe before were previously out of reach, more accessible now and we can provide services uh, sometimes at lower costs uh, and in innovative different ways. You know, you um, um, are a leader in digital innovation. I mean, you think about what the next generation of the financial uh, services industry could look like. Uh, we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about that um, yeah. as well. You've bought companies. I think you bought eBay, um, you know, which is a payment digital payments platform uh, based in the UK. But Anna, how do you think about um, how digital payments are going to transform? Um, the financial services industry, but the economy as well. You know, you have a lot of central banks thinking about digital currencies now. There's obviously have been off and on lots of um, uh, debates around the role of a distributed ledger or cryptocurrencies, stable coins. How do you think about all of that as you think about the future of Santander and the future of the financial system? So,
1: you know, there's there's a lot of... Um discussion about how regulation helps or doesn't help. At the end, it's about consumers, right? We're trying to protect consumers. We're trying to make sure that they have a fair access and competitive access to to, to products and services. So um, as a highly regulated industry, um, and I tell this to my colleagues, you know, we, we are regulated and we should make the best of it. So I do think regulation um, is something which we I tell my team, it's like the air we breathe, right? You know, if you are not compliant with regulation, you're just not going to exist. And so please, let's get on and move on. (laughs) Um, And so uh, at the end, it's it's a lot about the culture, as you know. And, you know, I know we always come back to this, but it's true, right? And so my favorite, and it was actually my father's and my grandfather's favorite, Sentence already, which is we want a culture at Santander that combines the wisdom of age and the spirit of youth, and that is really how I think about us as a 168-year-old company, highly regulated, competing with companies like PayPal or fintechs or Apple Pay or other banks, actually. And so, so combining those two means that we need to be able to innovate within a large company it's not easy. And so we, we have different models. And so we, as you said, we bought companies like Ibri, but we've bought other companies like GetNet in Brazil, which is a merchant acquiring company, uh, which is a leader in, in, in Brazil, which we're now taking global. So what we've done is, and, and, and we've done another one called Superdigital, we're discussing uh, financial inclusion before, which is now in many countries across Latin America. Again, what we do is buy small teams, let them get on with it, and then take them to the global uh, franchise. So, you know, if you're a startup or not just a startup, eBury is, is actually a 10 year old company. What I can offer is collaboration with my customer base of 145 million. I leave them you know, relatively separate. I bring the compliance, know your customer and payment regulation to the bank standard because that's the way you know we are a bank. And we find ways of of, of, of doing that. But I, you know, th- there's two types of innovation by the way. One is what we call business model or process innovation. That is, you know, going from a branch to online. Yeah. We are now at 50 percent, half of everything we sell at Santander is online, and most of that through mobile, 50 percent of all our products and services, uh, even though we have 12,000 branches and 100,000 people talking to customers. And then you have the customer innovation. That is harder for us because, but we are achieving, for example, we have a one-click e-commerce checkout financing, Online, it takes much longer because it, you have to go through. So those are the two things we're, we're working on and combined with bringing in teams from outside. Because at the end, you know, we cannot assume we, we have the answer to everything. And so uh, we try to bring in teams, but we also collaborate with many firms like uh, yours and others across across the spectrum. So that's how we, we, we manage the innovation process.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's interesting to me, and you mentioned this, is both of our companies are heavily regulated, which means that we need to work hand in hand with regulators and governments around the world. Uh, you recently authored a piece in the Financial Times, talking about and advocating for an inclusive and equitable response. Uh, to the economic crisis uh, in Europe brought on by COVID-19. This idea of the private and public sectors partnering together seems to be more important than ever before. Um, It used to be in some ways, you know, that there was, you know, there are companies and then there are people that were watching over the companies. And now it just seems much more that there are opportunities to partner together how do you think about that private-public uh, partnership? Maybe especially now in this era of COVID-19, but uh, even going forward,
1: I think it's essential. I, I you know, um, uh, in this crisis, and, and just going back to our own sector to, to finance, um, you know, we are very much, and 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 I've said this publicly, uh, we are being part of the solution um, and collaborating. on on, on several levels. First is in trying to shape, you know, the public policy response. Um, So we've been working with the Mexican government, but also the European uh, Commission and the Spanish government, the UK, in trying to make sure that people and businesses get the one thing they really need today, which is liquidity, right? So people need to be able to pay their bills, pay salaries. Um, So we've been super active in trying, because sometimes, Governments want to make this available, but they need somebody to make it, uh, you know, to transmit it to people and small businesses fast. Um, and as you know, uh, we all know, governments have certain rules. And if you don't, you, you cannot find the mechanism, you know, jobs disappear. People cannot have, you know, meals and, and, and go hungry. And so we've been very active in trying to find the right the right models to make sure that it's not just that governments can announce the measures, but they can actually make them uh, arrive fast. So we are very active on that. And I, I do think we have a responsibility as business leaders to contribute each one of us, what we know. Let me just give you an example. We spent two weekends, my team uh, spent two weekends working with, the, uh, with the, one of the ministries here in Spain because the unemployment benefits you know, went sky high over two weeks Mm -hmm. and you know any of us who run companies if you have an operation that suddenly has to do 10 times more from one day to the next ain't easy right so you know there's all sorts of legal operational ensuring that when i send you the benefit it's you i'm sure you've read in the newspapers governments important governments without naming any around the world where they've had funds arrive to people that were not around anymore because they sadly had passed away. So, you know, um, and and this is something we're very proud that we could help, not just as a bank, but also putting our resources to help governments, uh, you know, structure uh, the operations that that, that they needed. Another example I'm very proud of is that in the first months, um, actually the first weeks of the pandemic, uh, we have a big purchasing group around the company globally. Um, And when people were trying to find masks, respirators, all kinds of protective equipment, we could source in China and around the world in a way that our governments were not able to do. So by the way, not just us, but a number of companies in Spain, we got together and we said, okay, let's, you know, Let's put our people to go out and scout and where do you find these? And so we we were very active on that. Um, And I'm very proud to say that, you know, we were able to, you know, pitch in
0: when it was needed. Yeah, I love those examples because I think it it demonstrates just how connected we all are. I mean, I, I have to give credit to governments around the world. I mean, not everything was perfect by by any stretch of the imagination. But to your point, the uh, rapidity in which they responded and at the scale that they responded took what could have been an absolute disaster and mitigated it. And I believe that working hand in hand uh, with the private sector uh, to enable the distribution of these payments or innovative ways of getting payments to uh, to those who most needed them as quickly as possible was, was something that I think really, um, I think will uh, benefit us as we go forward as well, because there's a trust now and a, a partnership that uh, might not have been there uh, before the crisis. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. And I also think a lot of governments are thinking now about the role of digital payments and, you know, how they think about their uh, monetary uh, systems and uh, ways of, uh, of regulation around it as well. It's, it's going to be an interesting time as we look forward.
1: I agree, I agree. Um, so, I mean, going back to your previous question on, on innovation, um, I have a great story. Uh, You know, I have a son, I have three sons, but one of my sons studied in the, actually all my sons studied in the US um, and two of them actually are still there. One working in Los Angeles and and, and just one of them when he was coming back from college had some, you know, had made some money, not a big amount. I think it was like 500 or $600. And he was coming to work in London and he obviously opened an account at Santander. I was at at the time running uh, our bank in the UK, I was CEO there. And he calls me up one day and he says, "You know, I am opening uh, an account with you and I want to transfer my $600, but you're charging me way too much for my transfer. (laughs) Uh, And I said, oh, how interesting. And so what are you going to do? And he said, well, I found this really great company called TransferWise and I'm going to use them. So this was back in 2000 and uh, uh, maybe 13, 2012. So I went back to my team and I said, please, can you tell me why are we charging so much to our customers to transfer funds? It makes no sense. And they said, well, you know, actually there's all this, you know, back office in the payments world where actually, even though we're charging what seems to be a lot, it's actually, we're actually not keeping a lot of that. And so we need to find a better way because at the end, you know, we also need to make a margin to, to for our shareholders. And so, yes, we have to find better ways of, Making you know cross-border payments and payments in general accessible. And as you and I know, it's not just us who are dealing with the customer, it's everything that's behind.
0: That's
1: right. So you know all these new technologies, I think are going to be very helpful.
0: Yeah um, and I, I'm gonna end our conversation with the following question, which I think everyone who's watching this will be really interested. Uh, to To hear your response, um, and this is one of my favorite questions I ask it to pretty much everybody uh, on the show, which is, um, all of us have experienced difficult times in life. It could be personal tragedies that have befallen us. We all have that, you know. It could be professional uh, setbacks. There are all sorts of different ways that we get hit. Um and how you react to those, I think really define, you know, what you become um, as a person. Um and I'm curious, are there some examples of those that you could share? And and if so, like how did you get back up on your feet again? How did you respond? What kind of lessons could you impart to people who are watching our show?
1: Well, I mean, I've had several, like many, many of. I mean, almost everybody has had difficult times. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you come from. You, you know, um, the one that probably most uh, sort of changed who I am. Uh, not the only one. I have a couple of others. But, but uh, back in ninety nine, we there was um, we announced a big merger. It was the uh, January. Really, the euro had just begun, and so we announced a big merger in Spain. It was actually an acquisition, but at the time we explained that it was a merger. It was a bank that was um, actually the same size as, as us. And at the time, I was actually co-CEO of Santander. It was back in '99. You know, I had 50,000 people working uh, for me. I was um, really running almost the whole bank, um, and it was it was it was not an easy. Uh, Easy time because uh, the CEO, even though I was co-CEO, was going to be the CEO of the other bank. But to make a long story short, there was a long, very long, probably 20-pages newspaper article, and I was on the cover of this very um, widely read magazine. And you know, um, this created a big problem for for, for for the other bank. And so, on a Sunday, I was in the, I was in the countryside and. Um, next to my, I have a house next to my father. And he calls me and says, you know, Anna, you know, you have to leave the bank. And I said, what do you mean? I said, yeah, you need to leave because otherwise there's no merger. So basically from one day to the next, um, you know, I had been working first at JP Morgan for eight, nine years, but then 10 years at Santander. And I was basically asked to leave. I mean, very politely, but, and it was not just the fact of, of being asked to leave as an executive. Uh, it was also the way the way he did it no it was it was a very uh, and, and I always say it's not just and, and to me the big lesson was you know when and all of us have had to make these kind of decisions with people and th- the way he did it was very very hard you know I I, I had actually lost uh, lost a child a few years before so I said so what do I do now and he goes and said well go and you know have have more children so it was a very very tough um Tough moment, and the way the way it was done was, was 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 really hard. What I did next was I set up a small company, actually a tech uh, advisory for for banks. So I helped banks uh, set up their internet banks. Um, I set up two foundations: one for SMEs uh, in Mexico, actually with Inter American Development Bank, and another on higher education universities, which is still the reference in Spain. Um, and then a private equity fund so I was very busy for a few years you know what, all I can say is that the, the you know you have to reinvent yourself so many times during your life and I think moments like that is is uh, you know I was very lucky I was in a very privileged position because I'd been around already working for, a, for for a long time so I could actually have the option of doing all these things but it was a very difficult time um, And by the way, I I, I probably would not be as passionate as I am about inclusion and SMEs if I had not been on the other side, if I had not been an entrepreneur myself for a few years. Uh, Running a small company is very difficult. And so this is what I, when I came back to run Vanessa, I was asked to come back three years later by my father again. That's another story, uh, how he did it. (laughs) I I was being economically very successful having a great time and then he says come and run Vanisto but really what I learned uh, was a you know there's always things you you you, you can do and you know um, but very importantly the importance of banks and how when I was running my own small company how you know banks can really you know have a very positive impact or not um, and and really helping small businesses, is, is something which I learned during those those years. So that's uh, that's really yeah. probably the hardest uh, time that I had.
0: Yeah and I didn't even know that story um, and I thought I knew you pretty well. Um, but um, uh, it's a really touching story. Yeah. and uh, you know, there are those moments in each of our lives where you know, you think about it and you're brought back right to that moment as you're thinking about it. And um, uh, I just thought that was a beautiful story and really one that so many people will be able to relate to. And um, what people probably don't realize is just like, you know, it's so public when that happens. And you taking that path and getting back up and where you are right now, it's actually incredibly inspiring um so thanks for sharing that and i really i really appreciate it i know everybody watching the program does as well and by the way it's exactly what i was saying right up front in in my introduction it's you know why you are such an inspirational leader because you've gone through ups and downs and you care you truly care you're passionate about caring um and you never take anything for granted, and so Anna, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, and also for being such a good friend.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It was it was great and fun. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you, Anna. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.